For the record, when the man asks Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? He is not talking about heaven. He's talking about the life that you have in heaven. It's not talking about the place. He's talking about what it is to live there. And what he's saying or thinking is that all of that comes later on. How can I do something now that will lead to that kind of a life later on? And that was his first mistake. In Jesus, the life of heaven was already here. It was right in front of you. So everything that you were expecting to get in heaven, Jesus is in fact bringing right now. Let me say that differently you won't have other things in heaven than you have right now. You'll just have a better form of them and you'll have more of them. But it's not a completely different list than what you have right now because that's what Jesus brought when he came to earth. Are you still there? <clears throat> so the man wants to know, how do I get this when in fact this is right in front of him? So the question about how I have eternal life is not a question about living forever. It's a question about the quality of life. How do I have the quality of life like people have it in heaven? And while I'm on it, that is a question that we never stop asking. When in reality, many Christians have put that question in their rearview mirror. We thought, well, no, no, I answered that when I gave my life to Jesus. I know I have eternal life, but that's not what the man is asking. He wants the quality of life, not the length of it. So this is a question that Christians can ask themselves today, and the answer to that question, how can I have the good life? Who is a good person? How does one become a good person? Who do I turn to when everything in this life is falling apart? That is the stuff of eternal life. And if you've heard me say anything in the last couple of weeks, you've, you've heard me maybe emphasize that sometimes religious people are not any better at the answers than, say, non-religious people. Because these are longings in the human soul. These are not transactions that we make with God in order to go to heaven. I believe it is harder to share faith today with people because we have lost the authenticity of that message. People feel when we're sharing the gospel with them that we're trying to conduct a transaction. If you do this in exchange, God will do that and then you can have eternal life. And this is not at all the conversation Jesus is having. So I love these conversations with Jesus because they teach me <clears throat> not only what it means to share the gospel, but what it means to believe that gospel myself. I believe our culture today 
is more interested in the gospel and more skeptical of it. They're more interested because their narratives have failed and they still have these questions. What is the good life? How can I have the good life? Who is a good person and how do I become a good person and who do I turn to when everything goes crazy And the narratives, the American gods have died. The gods of technology, the gods of science, the gods of government, military, and the markets have all died in the last three or four years. And that is clear to the public. And so they are searching for another narrative that can make sense of their lives. But at the same time, they are more skeptical because the church, quite frankly, has its own sordid history with judgmentalism and prejudice and racism and materialism, you see? And so people feel like they're caught between the questions that they can't answer and the church that they can't trust. And yet they still have a hunger for God. This is why it is important for people like you and me who live with these people and work with these people every day to learn how to listen to these people. It's important that we think of the gospel not as a formula that has to be worked through, more like a structure, more like a frame. We tried to put that in front of you uh, the last couple of weeks, and it looked like this. We said there are four movements in the gospel when Every person that we encounter is in a predicament. Most of the time, they cannot put words to this. So the first part of our conversation, and this can take weeks, is helping people find language for the longing that they have in their hearts. What do they want and believe in, but they cannot get? What is the anxiety? What is wrong with the world that's driving them crazy? They they don't always know. They just are sort of confused about this once we hear that. If we would ask ourselves, what has God done or what is God doing in Jesus Christ where he addresses this? What does God want for this person like he wants for me. Most of the time, we can't find language for that. We have to listen. We have to discern. After that, we might ask ourselves, what is holding this person back from having that thing that God wants for them. Here's the longing, the anxiety, the frustration. This is what's wrong with the world. But over here is what God is doing. And if I'm just like, man, if I could just get you to believe this. Well, what's, why can't they? What's in the way? What would they have to leave or abandon or put down in order to follow with all of their heart what God has done and is doing in Jesus Christ? And finally, what might be a good first step? If they were to start today, 
what would be the right thing to do? Do the next right thing. What is that in this situation? And here is where it changes. Because if you were to read the Gospels and put all the stories in front of you like this, you would not find any one way that one becomes a Christian. Each person comes to Jesus in a different environment, in a different situation. And Jesus, by listening, is able to discern what it is. And then Jesus releases something that God is doing in that person's life. And he is able to put his finger on what it is that holds the person back. This is why what it means to believe is never the same thing, because it depends on the person and it depends on the situation. What you don't see is Jesus just walking through the Gospels, repeating the same lines. This guy in Mark chapter 10 or in Matthew 19 or in Luke 18 is an example of that. I love this story because um, it starts out being an example of what it is to talk to somebody about the gospel, you guys. But by the end of the story, I realize God is not talking about the guy at all. He's talking about me. Maybe you. The powerful thing about this guy is that he is not a prodigal. And most people in my life are not prodigals. Probably most of them in your life are not prodigals. The prodigal son is a wonderful story. It just doesn't fit a lot of modern America. I'm not saying people haven't left home. I'm saying more and more people were never home in the first place. So they haven't left anything. They started their lives far from God. But, they, but they're not doing rotten things, most people. Most people have not spent their inheritance on parties and prostitutes. They may have committed sins, some of them serious sins, but they have not blown everything and they are not out of luck. They don't feel that way anyway. Most people fit this guy's profile. He's young. And by the way, that means between 20 and 40 years old. <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> Tony's upset he just missed it. He's done. So he's between 20 and 40 years old, and he's ambitious. He's hungry, smart, accomplished, and he's conservative. He's like most of the people you know in Indiana. This isn't the coasts. This is Indiana. And this guy is morally conservative. Well, you know the Ten Commandments and Jesus lists five and the guy goes, check, 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 check. All five of them. Man, we can't even say that. 
So he's conscientious, he's disciplined, he's careful, he's scrupulous about his life. He's a good person. He's not an evil person and neither are the people that we spend most of our days with. And yet, look at him. He still knows there is something missing. This is a guy that has everything. He's got wealth, he's got position, he's got authority, and yet there is something in him that drives him to come to Jesus and say, what do I have to do to, to have the good life? So his life is full, but it's not abundant. He has achievements without fulfillments. He has wealth without contentment. He has success without rest and pause. Everything he does well just means there's more stuff to do. So on the outside, he appears to have it all together, but on the inside, he's tired. He's weary. Self-made, self-determined, self-sustained, self-confident. But he has this nervous anxiety about not having enough, not being enough, missing something, not being in control. Now, do you see him? He's like a ton of overachievers. When Jesus listens to him, he knows the man's problem. And rather than make it easy, Jesus makes it harder. He says, there is still one thing you lack. You, you must um, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and then you'll have treasures in heaven. <sighs> then you can come and follow me. It's been a long time since I've heard an evangelist start with a message like that. We are full of conversations about how grace is free, and it is, but it's pretty darn expensive. There's a high cost to free grace at least for him. So the man hears this. His face falls. He's now discouraged. We don't know if he's mad, offended. Is he hurt? Is he confused? But the man decides that, that, that the price of this is too high and he goes away sorrowful, sad. So in some ways, as I watch Jesus try to share the gospel with somebody who never converts, 
it's, there's a lot of encouragement in that, by the way. It's a magnificent failure. At least he got the gospel right. At least. The man cannot take it, and he goes away. And then Jesus turns and says to the disciples, and he's no longer talking about just the rich guy. He turns and says to the disciples, it is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, verse 23, but keep reading because in verse 24, he makes it even more general. He says, I'm telling you, it is hard to enter the kingdom of God. Now he is talking no longer about the wealthy and the powerful. He's talking about all of us. It is hard to enter the kingdom of God. I thought this was going to be easy. <laughs> this is hard. And then he says, it is in fact easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples are shocked by this. So Peter jumps up and says, Lord, we have given up everything to follow you. Jesus still hears the old value system in Peter's mouth. Peter can only think of what he has given up. He cannot think of what he is gaining. Because the truth is, Peter does not yet value what he's gaining. <laughs> so in Peter's mind, everything he has laid down in order to follow Jesus is a sacrifice. And in Jesus's mind, it's an upgrade. And Peter can't appreciate it. There's more to just, there's more to life, in other words, than just laying up treasures in heaven. Life is learning to treasure other things. And most people can't. And that's what makes the kingdom of God so hard to enter. You see this? This is where the message starts to get personal, as we say. Because I think we, I anyway, start to think of life as things that we've given up. And it's, you guys, it's probably true. If, if we have never been told by somebody what we have to lay down, what we have to crucify, what we have to let go of while we come to the gospel, I wonder if we've even heard the gospel. I wonder if I've even shared it. I shared that anyway. And there's one last thing, which I think is what this rich young guy 
says to all of us. He says that there is something in every person that makes them immune to the thing they say they want. It's like there are antibodies in all of us that allow us to say, we want eternal life. I want the life of God. And yet there is something in us that makes us immune to the thing we say we want. It resists it. So we can speak eloquently, nobly, about having the life of God, and yet there are habits and behaviors and values and priorities and relationships. There are conveniences that we just consistently fall back into. It would be wrong to say we were hypocrites because it's not hypocrisy. We truly do want the life that we ask for. God, I really want the good life. It's just that I have all of these other things that make it impossible to have the life that I say I want. And this is what Jesus puts his finger on. He found it in this man. He thought, for you, it is your riches. So you must sell everything you have. Cash in your portfolio. Go your retirement and give that to the poor. Then you'll start to have treasures in heaven. Your heart will go where your possessions went ahead and you'll start to value heaven. I wonder what that is for you. That's the point. What is the thing in your life that you could not live without? So much of your success, so many hours of your day, so much of your identity is wrapped up in that thing. It's your career, your discipline, your social network, it's your idea, it's your money, it's your reputation. There is something, it's your relationships. You have competing values. And the meaning of the gospel is to find that and to call it out. So Isaiah, Isaiah came preaching about this. Well, us, what Isaiah said is there are certain people, he called them descendants of Jacob, which means people of God. There are the people of God, says Isaiah, who take silver and gold and they hand it to a craftsman and the craftsman turns it into an idol and they carry the idol around on their shoulders like an old boombox. And then he said, they set the idol down and it cannot move. And when they cry out to it, it doesn't hear them. And the odd thing about this, said Isaiah, is that these people created this idol to carry them, and they end up carrying it. The idol was supposed to protect them 
and they end up protecting it. They, they, they wanted it to serve them. Now they're managing it. The thing that they put their entire lives into has taken over their entire lives. And these people, said Isaiah, are full of achievements, but not fulfillment. They are full of things, but they are not content. They perform well in the hour. They have honed their crafts. And yet, they're anxious and they're restless. They're busy and their lives are complex. They're moving very fast, but they lack direction and purpose. In other words, they're like the rich guy. Would you... For a moment, bow your heads and maybe use this space to find the thing or the person or the priority in your life that most competes with the life of God. Now hear the gospel from Isaiah. Yahweh says, I am your God. I formed you and I will carry you. Even until your old age, when your hair is white and your strength is gone and all of your power is diminished. I will care for you then. I will carry you then and I will save you. When nothing else can save you, I will save you. That is pure gospel. Oh God, there is in the room now, there is in me a lot of toil, striving, restlessness, unsatiated hunger. And you have put before us the words of the prophet in the gospel of rest and Sabbath and pause. Shalom. Enough. It is good. Help us to put down those other things so we can truly believe the gospel.